Coming up on this episode of the Jeep Talk Show, Josh Oshinasi joins us to talk about APRS, what it is, and how we can use it in our Jeeps. This week in Jeep, we hear about the spy photos recently posted about a new three-row Jeep SUV. It's not what we thought it might be. And would you sacrifice off-road capability for luxury? We'll find out about the big gamble Jeep is making. In Wrangler Talk, Bill talks about the variable valve timing in the 3.6-liter Pentastar V6. Tammy's talking vintage, and it's the bee's knees. She'll give us the state of the Jeep Mama address and let us know all about the new classic Jeep stuff she's learning about. And Nikki G and uh, Super Croc are in a competition for the worst voicemail of 2020. <laughs> We've got a bunch more show coming up for this episode, so stick around. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show with Jeep Mama. Are you sure? Josh. Yeah, I don't think so. And Tony. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a Jeep, want a Jeep, or never driven anything but Jeeps, the show is for you. Josh, Tammy, Wendy, and myself are here to inform and entertain you while we talk about... Jeeps. Oh, those Jeeps. Events. I'm going to an event this weekend, so a Jeep event, that is. So that, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm Tony. I love watches, coats, and bright lights. With a cell phone, I don't need a watch. I'm too fat and live in too hot an area to wear a coat. So I put all my love into many very bright lights. I'm sure your children are proud. Hey, I'm <laughs> yeah. Josh, and I swear to God, if you're the jackass who is driving down I-84 this week, towing a flatbed trailer at 80 miles per hour with a giant pile of dirt and stones on it, perhaps, maybe, <laughs> oh, you should no. have rented a trailer with sides on it. I don't know. No. You're going to go down the freeway with an unsecured load of unfiltered filter dropping golf ball-sized clumps <laughs> of dirt and rocks all over the place. Oh. You owe me a fucking windshield, damn it. Did, it. did it say, was it a windshield replacement company? that was driving the the on the side no, of the no, truck no look I, honestly after after literally a golf ball sized rock bounced in front of my car and smacked my windshield no. I, I i had i had to get up to 100 miles an hour to catch up with this mf <laughs> because oh. and then I, when i finally passed the vehicle that's next to them to get up alongside to see who the f was this that just fucked up my car there's no name on the side of the truck it's just some plain no. white pickup towing this big ass flatbed trailer with a giant pile of dirt on top of it. Did they have some? And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> Did they have some of those straps? You know those? Uh, what do you call those straps that you you put on over the dirt? And, you know, I thought you were gonna say it was a nun. It was two nuns driving the, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, mother. It's 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 fine. You're you're okay. <laughs> No, and I wasn't about to, to, you know, get in a road rage incident with a with a pickup truck and a flatbed trailer full of dirt on the freeway no. doing 100 miles an hour. So, yeah, it's this just is, one of those things. This is why you need to uh, keep the uh, spark plugs that you, when you change out, and you just keep them there in the the center console so you can chunk them because apparently no. the with <laughs> those things will pierce uh, uh, glass and shatter that, that safety glass really well. So you just chunk it over there. And, uh, you know, it's just paybacks for those uh, golf balls that are launching at you. Yeah, I'm not say, bitter, I, I swear. Don't know. <laughs> I, was, I was changing the spark plug, and look what happened. It, it just off. shot out of the cylinder. <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're okay. Hey, hi, I'm Wendy, and this isn't my first rodeo. Yeehaw! Local Jeep News, National Jeep News, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. 
And This Week in Jeep could be sponsored by your company or product. If you would like to sponsor a segment here on the show, we'd be happy to have you take over for Amazon, who recently decided to <laughs> screw us. So, goodbye, Amazon, and hello, you, your company here. <laughs> Insert company name. Well, we've long been reporting about how Jeep has wanted to bring back the era of big-ass SUVs, and a lot of this movement has been spurred on by, well, not only market demand, as nobody can really argue that SUVs and crossovers are in high demand, but some of this is also by the will of the big man himself. No, not God Almighty. I'm talking about Mike Manley, the guy with just about as strong of a name. Hell, even Hummer is getting back in the SUV game after all this time. So why not Jeep? And why not bring back the iconic name badge that started it all? The Wagoneer. Now, we've been dropping leaked bits of news about what FCA, Jeep's parent company, has in store for the new line of three-row SUVs. Now, Still to date, though, there's more that we don't know than what we do know about the upcoming new line of big Jeeps. Mike Manley's wish for a three-row Jeep is starting to take shape as we've seen some spy photos leaked over the last couple of weeks. However, these new spy shots are not of the big SUVs that we were originally told would be the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. Spy photographers captured engineers testing what appeared to be a three-row Jeep prototype in Auburn Hills, Michigan. This all-new three-row Jeep model will actually be slot right in the same mid-sized SUV crossover segment as the Jeep Grand Cherokee is already in. Now, on the surface, this makes zero sense for an <laughs> automaker to put a self-competing vehicle right next to one of the same size that they're already selling. But reports say that this new Jeep is set to compete more directly with the Ford Explorer, Toyota Highlander, and Chevy Traverse. Roughly 60% of that segment is three rows. So Grand Cherokee has really only been playing any 40% market share of that particular vehicle segment. Now, obviously, those numbers need to come up in the eyes of FCA executives. And the best way to do that, apparently, is to drop a third row SUV right on the toes of the Grand Cherokee. Jeep has not offered a three-row SUV since the Commander was that well, that was dropped on us back in 2010. Now the new three-row SUV will be positioned alongside what reports are saying will be a completely redesigned Grand Cherokee, but is expected to carry a new nameplate, and that may or na may not be begin with a W and end with Agoneer. Now the prototype we've seen here is based on a Grand Cherokee platform, but the exhaust was rerouted to make room for an external spare tire, seen tucked up underneath the rear end of the undercarriage. The spare tire relocation freed up enough space for the third row seats. Both this new three-row SUV, yet to be named, as well as the upcoming newly redesigned Grand Cherokee will be built at FCA's new assembly plant in Detroit, with production possibly beginning as early as this year. Now with that being said, if production is going to begin as early as this year, then why the heck haven't we seen these in, like, for instance, I don't know, the Detroit Auto Show or, you know, the the auto shows that are happening this year? I just It seems like uh, the cart in front of the horse. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm glad you mentioned the commander because uh, that immediately came to mind, uh, which I thought was just a, as far as the look went, uh, I thought it was a, a really good add-on to the, uh, the the Cherokee type thing because it had very much of a Cherokee look about it, a more yeah, modern. Yeah, that should have been the Cherokee 3.0. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I seriously considered getting one of those things, but it was uh, horrible on, on uh, fuel economy, oh, and yeah. it had several, it was IFS, and I don't want IFS on, on a four-wheel drive, yeah. and uh, but, but I understand why they want three seats because uh, there's uh, obviously people love Jeep, 
But if you got a family that you want to uh, carry around with you, I mean, I got a friend that actually bought a, a, a used commander that he's getting set up to, to go off road because he's got five freaking kids and he wants to take them off road. So yeah. you know, how are you going to really, do that? You can't do that in a Wrangler. No, no, no Wrangler. You can do that in, not unless you're dragging them in a, a trailer. Hold on to the roll cage real tight, kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's yet another trim level coming out. And is this the beginning of a pussification of Jeep? <laughs> I know. George George Carlin said it best. So what do you get if the Wrangler or the Gladiator is just too tough and rugged for you? Well, my answer would be the fuck out of here. <laughs> but for some, this is an actual dilemma. And the struggle is real. Look, off-roading and the off-road lifestyle aren't for everyone. We know this, despite focusing primarily on the off-road aspects of Jeep ownership. But there is a whole multi-million dollar segment of Jeepdom that just doesn't require any off-road prowess. And that is the world of street Jeeps. I bet you didn't know that almost every Jeep ever offered has had the option of being ordered from the factory without four-wheel drive. Yes, I'm talking about (laughs) two-wheel drive Jeeps. Yes, that includes the Wrangler, too. I know, shocking to many. Now, although it would likely be a custom order by today's standards, I bet you could even get a brand new 2020 Gladiator stripped of its off-road capabilities if your intent was to say, I don't know, make a mini truck out of it or something. And more power to you if that's your goal. It may not be for me or for you listening, but that doesn't mean that we can't that we can ignore this massive subsect of Jeeper. We just don't have to like it. Now, to that end, it may not be two-wheel drive, but Jeep has released yet another trim level for the 2020 model year. And in my opinion, it might as well be two-wheel drive. We introduce to you Jeep's high-altitude trim. And every Wrangler and Gladiator (laughs) sold with this trim is going to be loaded with lots of creature comforts, but stripped of much of its ruggedness for those who were more afraid of dirt than the Wicked Witch of the West was afraid of water. And the new high-altitude trim will ditch any resemblance of an off-road Wrangler by getting rid of those scary rugged bumpers and recovery points, and instead come with color-matched bumpers, fenders, hardtop, and other exterior pieces made from plastic and not steel. You will get a full lighting upgrade, though, to ward off the boogeyman at night with the headlights, <laughs> fog lights, and taillights all getting the LED treatment. It will also contain Jeep's entire suite of driver-assistant technology, which some of you already know what I think of. Now, these include, but are not limited to, the automatic high beams in the event that pesky lever 2.3 inches from your left index finger is just too damn far away or hard to pull. You get Jeep's amazing blind spot warning and rear cross-traffic alert systems for those who can't be bothered to turn their fucking head or shift their eyeballs one goddamn inch to see what's in the mirrors. And God forbid you want to look, lock, or unlock your new high-altitude Jeep, but don't worry, this technology has you covered there too. Now sitting there trying to figure out what button is lock and what button is unlock on those super cumbersome uh, key fobs that you can't be bothered to hold in your hand is a thing of the past. Now you can rely on Jeep's patented passive entry system to do all that hard work for you. You, of course, get a gigantic 8.4-inch touchscreen screen in the dash because we wouldn't want you to have to concentrate on actually looking at what you're seeing one little bit. And the top-of-the-line Alpine audio system will also take over that pesky task of remembering just where the hell you were going by delivering the pleasing tones of turn-by-turn directions courtesy of built-in GPS navigation. And did I mention the built-in Wi-Fi hotspot? We wouldn't want you using a single bit of your data, after all, as you constantly take selfies and update your Instagram in your new Jeep. Now, perhaps most noticeably, however, (laughs) is both the Gladiator and the Wrangler High Altitude will roll off the assembly line on 20-inch 
wheels. Oh, These black geez. painted rims represent the first time either model has been available with dubs from the factory. The interior got a whole mess of luxury too, with layer upon layer of rich gray or black leather covering the center console, the door panels, and even the dashboard. Apparently, Jeep thought if you have that much plastic on the outside, you need to put something else <laughs> on the inside. The heated seats are wrapped in an even richer Napa leather and feature quilted stitching just like Grandma's couch or the seats in the cut cutlass sitting at that Coke dealer's driveway. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about these particularly neutered, ultra-luxed-up Jeep Wranglers and Gladiators. Oh, wait. No. Yes, I am quite sure about how I feel about these. But we'll see how popular they become with the rest of you when they go on sale in the second quarter of this year. You know, you were talking what? about the driver-assisted technologies, and I, I can't help but think about the the old joke. Did you hear about the man that was so lazy he married a pregnant wife? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just curious with that interior. Does that come with the plastic on the seat? Too? Uh, that's that's what I was thinking when he said grandma. Yeah, the plastic-covered seats. This is not a Jeep anymore. They're just using the emblem. They're just making it into some other kind of vehicle. This is crazy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know where we're going with this stuff, but you know. Uh, Josh and I complained for a long time, very loudly, about the new Cherokee, and they sold the hell out of them. So, yeah. so Jeep's <laughs> doing their market research, unfortunately. You know, I, I thought of a new top five, guys. I, I think my top five is going to be the, the top five reasons, uh, the, or the, yeah, the top five things that mean you're a pussy in a Jeep. And one of them is going to be, I, I want to lift my Jeep, but I want to... <laughs> Yeah, I want a smooth ride. It's a freaking Jeep. <laughs> it's, it's not possible. No. Yeah, it, well, if you've got a news tip or response to any one of our stories, be sure to let us know what you have to say by phone or by email. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. Hey, coming up later in the show, we've got an interview with Josh Hoshnasi. He's uh, going to be talking about ham radio APRS, what it means and how to use how we could use it in our Jeeps. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network podcast. You know, we're always asking to go check out the 4x4 Radio Network, too, and it's, well, you know, for good reason. There's a ton of great off-road audio there. That's what it's all about. It's off-road-related podcasts. It's all for free. It's all in one place. On the Trail podcast is there. Trail Chasers is there. Center Steer podcast. We're there. The 4x4 podcast is there. It's all for free. All in one place. Go to 4x4radionetwork.com right now. We'll see you there. One man. It's with this guy. Who is he? One mission. Who are we talking about? Who is this guy? Who are you? One model of Jeep. What is this? The Wrangler. Who are you? Call me Bill. It's Wrangler Talk with Bill. Hello, JTS listener, and welcome to this week's Wrangler Talk, where we're going to be talking about the Jeep Wrangler 3.6 liter Pentastar engine. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the function that is performed in the engine called variable valve timing, or VVT. And when it comes to VVT in my engine, I all I hear is like a complete headache and a pain in the butt. However, I'll explain that later. So, VVT is not some new technology that came out when the 3.6 liter Pentastar came to market. And yes, you're not going to like what I have to say about VVT. Variable valve timing was actually introduced in a Honda Civic with their VTEC motor. And yeah, I know, how could Jeep do this to us? But actually, it makes a lot of sense. 
VVT is used for a lot of different reasons, and some of the most common reasons are to help with miles per gallon, increase power, and make an engine just more efficient overall when it's running. So the idea of VVT is to change the timing of the valve train. And the valve train includes your camshaft, rockers, and valves, and it changes them to adjust based upon the demands of the motor. So how does it adjust your timing? And yeah, I know you thought your timing was a set parameter in the motor, and it should never be changed. And yes, you are correct. When setting up a motor, it is set to a specific timing. And yes, it that timing should never change throughout the life of the motor. You are absolutely correct. Well, on our camshaft, there are a series of lobes that are set at a specific location through the rotation or travel of the camshaft when rotating inside the motor to actuate the valves that open and close to let the fuel and air in the cylinder and let the exhaust gases escape. However, in a VVT motor, we can increase or decrease the amount of time these valves are open, resulting into more power or better gas mileage. And in our VVT motor, there is actually a mechanical valve system called cam phasers. And these cam phasers use oil pressure and a solenoid to control the adjustable parameters in our engine's timing. And the cam phasers are actually connected to the front of our camshafts and are driven by the engine's timing chain. So the process that occurs when the VVTC, yeah, I know, it's a lot of letters, VVT system is properly working, is the engine VVT solenoid actuates and presses on a plunger valve that is pressurized with oil from the oil pump. As the valve is depressed at different intervals, it fills different compartments within the cam phaser, thus advancing or retarding the timing of the engine. Also, if you know anything about engine tuning, advancing the timing of an engine can result in more power. However, there is a sweet spot of making the most amount of power out of an engine. So, as we can see, this system can be very touchy when, yeah, and this is where my headache is ensuing because I'm having issues with my VVT system in my Jeep Wrangler. I think I'm having one of my uh, plungers is clogged up or the cam phaser is worn out or something of the sort. But that's for a whole different topic. And yeah, I mean, what else is new with my Jeep? Yeah, it's a Jeep. I like working on it, so it doesn't matter. So, it's pretty kind of a straightforward system. Um, however, there are a lot of issues that can kind of come up with this VVT system. There's a lot of moving parts and it relies a lot on oil pressure and that solenoid working correctly. So obviously, how can this system fail? Well, there's a lot of ways that it can fail. However, with the proper maintenance, of your motor, you can avoid a lot of these issues. So let's begin with the most common problem 
And that is the failure of your VVT solenoid or your camshaft position sensor. These things go bad all the time. I mean, solenoids, they're an electronically actuated um, device that, you know, things can go bad in them. It could short circuit or something of the sort. However, that doesn't mean your engine isn't going to run. Your engine will still run, just not to its full potential. Although, if your camshaft position sensor fails, your engine might not run very well, as I discovered on my way home the other night. Yeah, lots of fun. So, pretty simple. These parts are super cheap. They're less than $40 at the auto parts store each, and they're very simple to replace. And also, a scan tool should be able to tell you if these parts are going bad or completely not working. So now on to the VVT valve. And the VVT valve has a center shaft that moves back and forth, allowing oil to travel through it and fill different compartments within your cam phaser. So as oil passes through it, we know oil carries a lot of particles. And these things can actually become clogged with sludge or buildup and also all together can become seized from this buildup over time or the seals in it can go bad. And yes, this can cause a bit of an issue, more of an issue in your pocket because this, if you're taking it to a dealer, this repair can be kind of pricey. It's not that difficult of a repair if you're somewhat mechanically inclined and kind of know what you're doing and don't, you know, aren't afraid of taking your valve cover off. Let's put it that way. Then there is the cam phaser and the cam phaser can actually have the same kind of failures happen to it. The seals can go bad. The phaser can lock up in a specific location, not allowing it to move through the allowable um, advancing or retarding of the timing. And that's about it. Your motor should still run if your cam phaser gets you know, clogged or something of the sort. You shouldn't have too big of an issue. Although you will want to address this because your motor won't be making the power that you might need or you know, it, it just won't be running right. Um, I can tell in my motor, my VVT system is acting up because I actually hear like a bogging sound when I'm running around 2000 RPMs. And it's just not fun. It's really weird, though, too, because up at high RPMs, it sounds absolutely fine, and I don't know what's going on. That's, you know, I'm going to have to dig into that at some point. So preventative maintenance. Change your oil regularly. Oil changes will actually help keep your oil clean first and keeping the specific properties that your oil needs to keep your engine functioning properly. Secondly, keeping your oil topped off. This will actually ensure your oil pump has sufficient amount of oil in the oil pan to send to all the different areas that need your oil, including your cam phasers. So if you have low oil, it can actually result in low oil pressure. And yeah, you should actually get a couple of, you know, dummy warning lights or something of the sort saying you have different issues going on with your oil pressure, low oil, um, your position, your camshaft position sensor not working right, 
or your solenoid not working right. And some of those nasty little codes involve a P000D, and that is the current one that I have. I already replaced my position sensor, so now on to the solenoids. And kind of one of those things, when you're trying to diagnose these issues, it is actually beneficial to take the part out and swap it with the opposite side. That's kind of one of the great things about the 3.6 liter Pentastar is that it has two camshaft position sensors. It has four VVT solenoids. Um, I wouldn't recommend swapping out your VVT valves. That would be a little bit more of a job just to see if that one's going bad. But you can swap them around, and when you swap them, if your solenoid or your position sensor is going bad, the code actually should follow the bad sensor or solenoid. And it's kind of just a cheaper way to diagnose your problem. And this actually goes for a lot of different things in a motor in general. So, you know, it's with a little, you know, process of elimination, you should be able to figure out if you're having issues with anything in your VVT system. So moral of the story is change your oil regularly and you should be a-okay. And also when you change your oil, also change your oil filter because your filter actually, well, it filters your oil as it's passing through the motor. So if there's any particles or contaminants in your oil, it will help get them out of your oil as it's moving through the motor. So thank you for listening to this week's Wrangler Talk. And just remember, you got any questions, comments, or you know, you just want to send me an email or something, head over to the jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and leave us a voice message or send us an email and we'd be happy to help you with any of your questions about Jeeps or anything of the sort. Thank you very much. And talk to you next week on the Wrangler Talk. Well, good stuff there from Bill. And uh, thanks for breaking that all down with the variable valve timing. I know that's a lot of stuff that we've been hearing uh, about, you know, EPA regulations and, and, you know, truck manufacturers and stuff using this technology to uh, to make, you know, full-size trucks a lot more fuel efficient. I know Ford's been doing it for years. I come to find out that uh, Jeep's also got their version and it's happening in your Wrangler too. So I don't know if you guys uh, remember or were even paying attention at the time. Cadillac came out with a V8 engine that they actually called a, a V8, a V6, and a V4. I think it went all the way down to that. And the the reason why they were able to, to call it that way, well, marketing, but they actually would turn off the valves. They would just open them up. And then was that the, was that the 32 valve North Star motor that they had? Now this is back in like the 70s. Uh, oh, when they were doing okay this. no no i'm thinking i'm thinking uh, late 90s early 2000s yeah they would literally turn off or open the valves so the the cylinder basically you know and, and turn off the fuel going to it so basically you'd have a dead cylinder and and that's how they were doing it making it a, a v4 or a v6 uh yeah, and they I, were doing that in the 70s huh yeah and i was thinking <laughs> man that is hokey as hell and of course we poo-pooed <laughs> it back then but of course you know uh Fuel was like, you know, less than a dollar and everything else. So, uh, but, uh, you know, that, that, 
the big oil crisis uh, back at that time. Well, I'm I was sure. going to say there there was a big uh, fuel crisis in the seventies as yeah. well. So this this is probably uh, maybe a, a reaction to to that. You know, the auto yeah. industry coming up with oh, technology yeah. to sort of you know solve a problem. No, absolutely. Uh, it, it was an interesting concept. Uh, what they needed to do was disconnect the uh, the rods. Uh, from the the pistons, so you didn't have all that moving, all that mass. Oh, you know, all that <laughs> rotating mass in a five hundred cubic inch motor. <laughs> but anyway, when you were talking about the variable valve uh, timing, it, it reminded me of actually turning off the valves. Let's just open them some inches up and <laughs> let it flow easily. Hey guys, Super Croc again. Yeah, so this week so I've had flashbacks to the Jeep. J-O-O-P talk show that I was stuck in. <laughs> One of the craziest segments that they had a recurring every time was Prius talk and how to make your Prius act better and and modifications you could do to it, trying to get the smallest, thinnest tires and how to decrease weight. And Hyper mileage. Why do you your Prius? You can go diesel and get the same mileage or better. And they're like, oh, diesel, this was bad. Diesel's bad. Diesel, you know, and it's like, oh, oh okay. And I'm like, but up here the batteries, is, they're 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 not as good either. And I'm like, well, we're we're not there, so we're fine. And diesel's bad. And weirdly, I don't know how this happened. Maybe time space continuum warp type thing. It's also a Nikki G on their program, but he gave good advice and like like stuff on how to save money and like legally and ethically and making sense and it was weird that's when i really really knew it was in a alternate universe bye i'm glad he mentioned an alternate uh, universe wendy do you know that in some alternate universe a a, a multi-universe there's a prius rolling coal <laughs> yeah that's pretty funny (laughs) (laughs) i'd pay a dollar to see it coming up in tech talk five ways to kill your jeep on purpose is this cash for clunkers josh is this what this is we'll we'll be we'll be talking about one of the oldest security tips for keeping your jeep where you parked it oh i see it's a security thing i got you that's that sounds good oh i thought it was target practice not on a jeep (laughs) Well, if it was a Cherokee, we had that idea, right? Are you living the Jeep life? From mall crawlers to weekend warriors, from daily drivers to weekend wheelers, it's all about the Jeep life, and it's all good. It's time for Jeep Life with Jeep Mama. Hey, Tony and Josh, did I tell you guys that I missed you? Who would have ever thought? Every I'm hoping to join you guys live soon. <laughs> First, I wanted to share with you I have dates for our first fan ride, March 21st through 23rd on Mojave Road in California. It's going to be easy wheeling and primitive camping and lots of fun. Information is on my blog, jeepmama.com. Just click on the calendar. Also, I wanted all my Jeep Talk Show listeners to head over to YouTube and check out my video, The Story Behind Celebrating the Jeep Life. When I talk about you followers, that means you guys too. The link is in the show notes. So, what's been happening in my Jeep life? Well, I went home to visit my kids. It was so awesome to, awesome to see them. However, the rest of it was so horrible. Being a guest in my own home and the pressure and no understanding from my friends caused me to have an emotional meltdown. So, I said my final goodbye to all that drama. I'm sure everyone's sick of hearing it. And when I got back into Colorado, it just brought me this peace And I have moved on to the positives in my life, said goodbye to the drama, and 
the positives in my life are all this whole Jeep life and all my Jeep friends, which is all of you. Your support behind the scenes has been nothing short of amazing. So now that I say goodbye to my JAMA, let's talk Jeep life. Um, I can't even begin to share all the stuff that I've been learning. It's been so cool, all of this stuff that I didn't know. Neil and I have been hanging out with two old Jeepers lately, BC Vintage Jeeps in Delta, Colorado. Look him up on Facebook. He buys, sells, and trades old Jeeps. He'll even haul them to you. And then the other guy is Terry from the Jeep Rescue League in Sawatch, Colorado. Um, Sawatch, by the way, is Blue Waters um, in the Native American language, and it's right here in the Valley of Colorado. He has a must-see museum. It's an amazing military collection of Jeeps. Um, so we acquired the CJ2A Flatty, but we realized it was the M, the military tub. And we decided, since the military tub needed to be preserved, we traded it to the Jeep Rescue League for the CJ2A body and front clip. Now, Terry runs this semi-military museum, which he collects all things military and tons of different Jeeps. It's so cool when you drive through there. Um, you must stop by and check it out. And what was cool for me is seeing all these flatties and pointies and dents and learning the differences in the bodies. And, you know, I wonder if you all know what that means. Maybe I know something you don't know. Anyway, Colin, if you know the diff, what a pointy, a flatty, or a, what the dents are, um, I'm sure Tony and Josh know. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, I would love to get a pointy one day of my own. They're so cool. Um, anyway, so hauling around all these Jeeps back and forth and everything on the car trailers, we have to stop and get gas. And of course, you know, complete strangers come up to us and they're just like love in their eyes when they're looking at these old Jeeps. Um, and they reminisce with us about how they used to drive all these old Jeeps. And it's just really cool to get to know people, um, that grew up in that era with these Jeeps. I also didn't know that the military destroyed all these World War II Jeeps. They either left them in Europe, which they have been picked clean in Europe, so now they're coming on over here looking for them, or they destroyed them, or they pushed them in the ocean from the ships. And some of them are still in the ocean in their original crates. What a shame. Maybe I need to learn scuba diving. Anyway, even back then, they had little Easter eggs hidden in these Jeeps. So under the seat passenger seat, there's a toolbox built in, and it had the words Jeep in cursive inside this little toolbox. And now how cool is that? What else I learned is I didn't know Bantam designed the Willys for the military, but didn't have the facilities manufactured, so Ford and Willys did. Anyway, so much information squeezed into my brain. I'm just amazed. Now, we are still working up on the Jeep mashup, which Neil hates me calling, at that. <laughs> but basically, that's the LJ build with the TJ and CJ parts. We're still working on that. And something really cool I discovered this past week is this catalog, Kaiser Willys Parts and Accessories. You can go over to www.kaiserwillys.com. And the web website will be in the show notes. The front part of this catalog has a whole section on Jeep Hunter's Field Guide with diagrams and tech specs of all the older Jeeps. It's a Jeep lover's gem. Go check it out. Get yourself one. 
keep it in your Jeep and be on the lookout for these old Jeeps. You would be surprised at how many of them are in old fields or barns so or even in junkyards. So until next week, keep on living the Jeep life. And also, if you'd like to be a supporter of me, Jeep Mama, head on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Jeep Mama and give it a look. So I I don't know about you, Josh. I uh, I think you know more about the uh, the older stuff than I do. I yeah. uh, I really didn't stay, start paying attention till uh, probably the YJs uh, were out. So so you uh, don't you don't know what a pointy is then? No, the I don't oh, she says I don't she she says pointy, and I remember my uh, my fond memories of hanging out on the frozen food aisle uh, in the uh, the, oh, the, no, the store. No. So. <laughs> no, so uh, pointy and flatty, real quick. Uh, pointy are the uh, the old uh, Ki- you know Kaiser Willys uh, cars and and uh, and trucks that had a an angled front grill uh, came to a point vertically, uh, not right. horizontally, kind of like the old uh, the old Kaisers. Um, so and the flatty, of course, flat fender Willys, the old uh, you know uh, rattling flatties, uh, that sort of thing. So flat fender uh, Willys. And then uh, the uh, the willies with the points, uh, the pointed grill, those are the pointies. So there you go. Now I will say this: I would would not mind having a uh, a military jeep uh, to I don't know cruise around in. Uh, Josh, you don't really do the the social media thing, I, Wendy. I don't know if you saw this. I know you've been bu- busy recently and maybe offline. But we had a uh, a guy uh, post up a beautiful series of pictures of a red uh, military jeep with a three fifty engine Ooh, nice <laughs> wow yeah so i said i bet you that that thing will scoot and he says i think he said it's like a, a v8 and a shopping cart yeah <laughs> but it is absolutely beautiful and they have a very different look about them and, and you, you guys know this already i'm sure but the the military jeeps have a very different look to them than uh, the more modern jeeps so it it, it just had a, a, an air of cool about it so uh, but it wasn't it wasn't restored to like military fashion. It was very much a uh, what do they resto call it? Mod. Resto mod, yeah. Mm. Go. Got it. Wow. And it was red, so can't go wrong there. Of course, you liked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, how does Tammy's uh, Jeep life compare with yours? We're always looking for Jeep stories, so contact us and let us know what your Jeep life is like. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com/contact and find out how. Yeah, are you a Jeeper who takes their top off? If so, find out where the best place to go topless is with Mitch in Jeep Weather, coming up later in the show. Why did you become a paid subscriber to the Jeep Talk Show? I love the show. I've been listening to you guys for free for, I don't know, years now, and I figured I'd time to give back. You can be a paid subscriber and help support the show you love, the Jeep Talk Show. It'll just uh, help help the show out, and, and then in the end, it'll be Jeep Talk Show in my ear holes, you know? Just go to jeeptalkshow.com and look for the big yellow subscribe button. It'd be nice to give back to uh, so that you guys can continue on, because if they love the show, then why shouldn't you, why shouldn't you give back just a little bit. The Jeep Talk Show now taking tax refunds for paid subscriptions. <laughs> I like how the, all the uh, the vendors start coming out of the woodwork. You know, hey, hey, we got a way for you to spend your tax refund. Like they, yeah. like everybody doesn't have ten things like, they can do. <laughs> we need an excuse at all. <laughs> Jeep parts. Jeep parts. Exactly. You got tech questions? Ah, oh, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good. I just, I, it's Tech Talk with Jeep Talk. Yahoo! 
You know, since parking in a safe-looking spot is about as effective as wishing on a star, installing a well-hidden kill switch in your vehicle is a pretty smart way to deter potential thieves. These switches disrupt the flow of electricity at the battery or ignition switch or disable the fuel pump even. Some of these are very easy to install, but all will require a basic understanding of electricity and some basic, well, some specific tools like a real crimp tool, not that stamped flat metal thing you got in the bin with all those other connectors. That will never, ever do. As many of you know, I worked in the automotive electrical industry for over a decade and have high-level certification in the field, so it wouldn't come as any surprise to many of you if I suggested the best way to add security to your Jeep is with a high-end alarm system. As And as even more of you know, well, most of us Jeepers are broke. So throwing a few hundred dollars at a security system and giving up your Jeep for a day to have it professionally installed isn't a practical option. And damn it, we just love saving you money and presenting options that you may not have been aware of before. But chances are you've been aware of the term kill switch since you were a kid. And it's a term that's been around for decades. Well, today we're going to go over the five best ways to add a kill switch to your Jeep. Now, let's say the 10-year-old Jeep or so that you bought uh, just bought has a fancy alarm system on it. Well, did you know that it can be bypassed easier than you think? I'm not going to go over all the different ways that an alarm system can be disabled or bypassed since we really don't want people trying this for themselves and we really don't want that information just out there for the general public. But trust me when I say it doesn't take much. What we do want is for people to keep their Jeeps and one of the best ways to do that is with what's called a kill switch. Now, most kill switches work by stopping electrical flow from your ignition system or your battery or through a fuse that works on a needed part like your fuel pump. When a vehicle is stolen, it's usually not stolen by the kind of pros you see in movies like Gone in 60 Seconds, who are highly trained and have thousands of dollars worth of tech equipment. It's generally done by tweakers, low-level thieves who are opportunistic and looking for a quick and easy come-up. Now, they're not knowledgeable enough or willing enough to risk the time it takes to find out why the Jeep they're trying to steal isn't starting, and will likely give up before too much time has passed, risking being caught. Now, the more steps you can force a thief to go through before he or she gets to your stuff is just that much more deterrence from breaking in to begin with. All right, let's get into this. The number five item. Uh, it's a fuel line shutoff valve. These cost about 20 bucks or less. Preventing your Jeep or car or truck or whatever you're driving from getting fuel to the engine is a surefire way to prevent it from firing up. Now, the vehicle will crank over, but will never fully start, or if it does, it certainly won't be running for more than a few seconds, making it appear to have an engine problem to potential car thieves. Adding an inline fuel cutoff switch is a fairly straightforward way of physically stopping the flow of gasoline to the engine. To install this on your Jeep, you will need to go under the vehicle and find the fuel line. You will then need to cut that fuel line in half at the desired location. And there will be some gas that is going to spurt out and leak, but if you do this fast, it's not going to be more than maybe a cup or two that you lose in the whole process. And you're going to, you know, after you do this, you're going to slide the shutoff valve onto both ends of the tube. Maybe you're going to need a little bit of a, a tubing to, to, you know, patch that in with, along with some small hose clamps to tighten the fuel line hose to the valve. Now, this is not the best kill switch to install if you plan on driving your Jeep every day, or maybe even every week. This would be better suited for a Jeep that you have in storage, or will be sitting around for a long time, as you don't want to have to crawl under your rig each time you get in and out to operate a, a, a valve. Now, the number four item is a car battery disconnect switch. These run about 10 bucks or less. The manual battery switch is another way to disable the power to your ignition and pretty much the whole Jeep, preventing your Jeep from starting. This is one of the easiest kill switch options to install in your vehicle, too. And to add this, you will need a, uh, to simply install it in line of one of the battery cables, and honestly, it really doesn't matter which one. 
This will involve cutting the, the battery cable and installing cable ends on each of those cut ends. This will in turn, these will in turn be installed on the posts of the battery cutoff switch. It's as simple as that. These battery disconnect switches will come in a turning knob style, a lever, or some even have a large red plastic key that needs to be used in order to turn the switch on and off, giving you an added degree of security. The downside of this kill switch, however, is that, one, well, they're huge, uh, and they require you to open your hood each time that you go to get your, to get your battery switch. However, I have seen some creative in-cab installations of these, but be warned, to extend a switch like this into the cab of your Jeep requires a good run of expensive large gauge wire and you run the risk of shorting out through the passage you took to get through the firewall with something like you know two two gauge wire runs yeah the uh, number three item on our list is a remote controlled car battery switch now a remote controlled battery disconnect switch is one of the most convenient ways to quickly disable your jeep's entire electrical system on a regular basis now no need to go under your hood to turn a knob or remove your battery cable or spark plug wires to prevent your jeep from starting the item I'm talking about is the E-Killin DC 12-volt electromagnetic solavoid, solenoid valve terminal master kill system. Wow. It's a full, yeah, I know. Big, that's a mouthful <laughs> hey, that right there. Twice. <laughs> now, this is a full kit ready to be installed on your vehicle within minutes. This device uses a latching relay, so it only uses power when it's switching itself on and off. So no power is used to hold it in either position, which would obviously drain your battery. Now, for a full description on this kit, we're going to have a link in the show notes for this episode, and I'm also going to be covering it in a little more detail on next week's episode, so be sure you stick around for that. Now, our number two item is what's called a fuse box kill switch, or an inline fuse bypass switch. It's another way of disabling your Jeep. It's a common way to prevent, uh, a common way to prevent theft is by pulling out a fuse that will stop your rig from being started, like your ignition fuse or your fuel pump fuse. But depending on where your fuse box is located, you're not going to want to have to manually install or pull out a fuse each time you get in and out of your Jeep. God forbid you forget that fuse somewhere or drop it. Now, this option will allow you to put in a fuse bypass switch in an easy-to-reach area for you to switch on and off. What this does is mimic the action of pulling the fuse by bypassing it with a switch. Now, you can piece together your own kit using what's called a fuse socket connector as the starting point. This is basically going to replace the fuse. And you're going to add a switch, some wire, and a fuse holder to this. And altogether, the part should run you less than 20 bucks or so and can be sourced through places like Amazon or a reputable parts store. And one downside to this setup is that unless you are very good at hiding wire after it's installed and custom installations, that sort of thing, the wire that's going to go into the fuse box may stick out a bit, preventing you from putting your fuse box lid on all the way or on altogether. And that might be a deal breaker. Now, the number one item on our list is the ignition wire kill switch, 10 bucks or less. An inline ignition cutoff switch is the type of anti-theft method that you will, will come to mind when you hear the term kill switch. This is the type of setup that uses a physical switch or even a toggle button hidden somewhere in the vehicle, usually under the dashboard area or around the driver's seat, so it's easy for you to access it when you get in and out of your rig. Now, this way, this works um, by adding a switch into the wire that comes off of your Jeep's ignition. By using a wiring diagram for your particular vehicle, you should be able to find out which wire is your ignition cable and determine the proper one to cut into. And, uh, and you're just going to be, uh, you know, using, uh, you're going to solder the two ends of the wire onto the switch or use additional crimp, uh, connectors and crimp it on, and it's that easy. This is one of the main lines of electricity in your Jeep, though, so... These lines carry a fair amount of amperage. Uh, this is coming out of your ignition. They're going to the starter. They're going to other things. These are main lines. And this is no place to half-ass an install. So make sure that if you opt to install any of these, that you either consider hiring a professional, 
you make sure that you're doing it right with the right tools and supplies, if nothing else. And as always, this information is just for reference, and any advice given here in Tech Talk is done so for educational purposes only, and any repair or modification done to your vehicle is done so at your own risk. Yeah, the next fire may be your responsibility, uh, which you can easily uh, set your set your vehicle on fire, especially like what you were talking about as far as running uh, two-gauge wire from the battery inside the cab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, you got to think these things through, folks, and uh, it's uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea to fuse something like that. Uh, Circuit breaker at that yes. at that kind of uh, instance. Yeah, you're exactly. not going to have a fuse big enough for that. I mean, unless well, it's like a gigantic A and L fuse. I well, mean, you're, come on, you're talking about taking up a foot just in you know fuse and fuse holder and and yeah. connector. And I've, stuff, I've so. seen the fuses, but yeah, you're right. The circuit breakers are much handier, and they're really not that expensive. I yeah. actually bought one to go on my winch line because I've been concerned about that. Uh, those honking big winch cables and shorting out. Oh, and, sure. Know, yeah. Uh, but the, so they, they actually have those things now, but yeah, all good things. And, and the thing I like about this is, and correct me if, um, if I'm wrong on this, Josh, but um, it doesn't matter. Uh, any of these will work even if you're running a, a newer Jeep with a, a can system. So you don't have to worry about the communications uh, on the electrical system. Correct. Yeah. In fact, a lot of these will work on virtually any uh, era of Jeep from whether it's a 2020 or whether it's a 1940, um, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to be able to apply at least one or multiple versions of, of the, uh, anything on this list to virtually any year of Jeep. So Wendy, uh, do you have any kind of, uh, uh, I don't want you to speak specifically to any kind of security system you may oh, have. Oh, it's a purple switch yeah. and it's located underneath <laughs> the seat on the left-hand side about the three o'clock position. No, I'm kidding. But do, do you guys have anything on your, uh, on your Jeep to disable it? Yeah, it's a, well, we kind of have a system, but uh, I'll have to check into it and get the name of it for you before I say anything on the air because I don't want to. Well, and, and we don't want to give it away. Oh, no, it, it definitely disconnects so that you can't start the Jeep without it. That's great. So, so Josh, now you mentioned yeah. the uh, uh, the security system, high dollar security system, but sure. didn't didn't uh, somebody brought this up to me the, <laughs> this week about you talking about uh, immobilizing your vehicle and how your Honda was stolen six times. Um, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, but the uh, uh, didn't your Honda have a, a security system, and didn't they use like a taser or something to to disable it? Yeah, I think it was the second time that my car was stolen. The first it was after the first time it was stolen that I finally put the alarm on it, and um, and it was the second time that it was stolen. Uh, the alarm was bypassed. In fact, it was disabled. Uh, and I, and I found out it was, it was a little bit later down the road. I, after doing some investigation and stuff, um, as to why some things weren't working the way that they should have been, uh, the exact method that they used to disable this. And, um, from what I was able to tell, it was a, an application of high voltage to the, uh, to the vehicle itself, which obviously, uh, damaged, uh, some, some more sensitive electronic systems, including the alarm system. Just amazing. Just go go get a freaking job and stop tweaking. I mean, you know that you have to. I agree. <laughs> I mean, the it's like you know the uh, somebody from Voyager uh, landed on Earth and they needed to take your Honda for a job, you know, for a mission or something, you know, six so. times. <laughs> Well, if you have anything to add, we'd sure love to hear what you have to say. And how are you disabling your own Jeep? Maybe you have a question for Tech Talk or a topic that you would like for us to cover. Just jump over to jeeptalkshow.com contact and send us a message.
Are you tired of all that noise from those other shows? I think you have to keep that rig at the moment. Now you can relax to the pleasing tones of the Jeep Talk Show every week. Unless you've got Dana 60s and 40s. Get the highest audio quality possible with each download. Now, you know, you can use them with them, with them super swampers. And if you're tired of all that other stuff. Uh, and a thing with a deck of big old tires and a liar. Then subscribe to the highest quality podcast on the web. The Jeep Talk Show. Available on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher Radio, and more. You guys you need to give me a beer. From around the world. Or from your city. And sometimes just down the street. Howdy, neighbor. It's the Jeep Talk Show interview. Idaho boys and girls, it's time for another Jeep Talk Show interview. And tonight we're going to be talking to a gentleman that we have uh, spoken to in the past. I don't think we've actually done a, uh, a bona fide interview uh, or, or not in the past, but uh, Josh joined us uh, last year, uh, probably about a year ago, and uh, talked a little ham radio with us. We recently had a listener call in and uh, ask about uh, APRS. He was curious about kind of how APRS works and how it could be used off uh, on the trail, off-road, so to speak. And uh, so Josh, uh, uh, also better known as Haas Nazi, uh, KI6NAZ, November Alpha Zulu for you ham types. You can find him over on YouTube.com slash Haas Nazi or just do a search for KI6NAZ and you can find uh, the ham radio crash course. Great, great information on ham radio and it, you get to see it and hear it. Uh, Josh, thanks for being back with us. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, this is a good good topic to talk about, for sure. Yeah, there. Uh, th- this gentleman was very interested in ham radio, and I didn't want to uh, uh, put the kibosh on his interest, but he seemed to have some unrealistic expectations of uh, small handheld radios inside seal uh, cages, also known as Jeeps. Uh, yes, <laughs> transmitting to other Jeeps off-road on the trail. And uh, APRS is, is a great technology, but uh, I wanted to kind of go over with somebody. And, I, and he actually recommended you uh, as far as getting you on and maybe having us talk about it. So we're uh, you're kind of a listener request by name, by the way. Oh, hey, well, I hope the last time when you had me on, we got some people out there interested about radio and maybe went out there and got their licenses. But I know that uh, jargon and acronyms is so thick in amateur radio. Um, APRS, just to start things out, stands for Automatic Packet Reporting System. And all those words um, kind of explain exactly what it does. It's an automatic, so the the radio is largely doing it on its own, um, reporting system, and it uses packet data. And packet radio packet is something that was very popular in the 80s and 90s. And we still use packets today, but it's generally over the internet. And those packets contain a data package um, and then it has a header on the, the top of it. And the header conveys different types of information, not really important for just an overview like we're talking about today. But just know that it's it's literally like a, a screeching data, data packet of audio that we send over the air. And in a nutshell, we use a GPS sensor, either in the radio or somewhere in the car or, or at your home QTH, your home location, uh, to triangular or not triangulate but but to get the gps data your lat long and we'll take that lat long data and we'll fire it off as a digital packet via this aprs um, mode and it can get picked up by local radios and also repeaters which we talked about the last time i was on the show but this repeater is special its job is to repeat digital packet data and they're called digipeters wow that's a mouthful 
So, yeah. um, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 it's great. I just kept going. <laughs> I, I'm just sitting here. I'm just sitting here, sitting back, learning. So that's uh, that's wonderful. It kind of took me by surprise. I was going, yeah, keep going, keep going, man. This is good stuff. Um, yeah. So if uh, if somebody wanted to do uh, the APRS off road, what would be the the shortcomings and or, or or is there shortcomings? I mean, I told him that it's it's probably not real realistic uh, that you'd have a, a digipeter set up off road. Doesn't mean that it that couldn't happen. Like in an off road park, they could probably set up a digipeter, so uh, it might be a value add. Although I think uh, ham radio is, is not quite in the mainstream uh, enough for that to happen. Uh, but how could yeah. you how could you do APRS off road uh, Jeep to Jeep? Well, so first, yes, I agree completely. I think amateur radio is not really popular yet in the off-road community, but it really should be because of things like APRS. Uh, APRS was really my gateway drug that got me really serious about amateur radio. And I started out with a Kenwood D72A handy talkie, a handheld, which we call an HT. And that's a 5-watt radio with a GPS um, receiver built into it. And it'll work fine in certain situations. And by certain situations, I mean in relatively close proximity to another user that's using a PRS or um, proximity that it can reach a digipeter. And again, a digipeter is like a, a big repeater, a something that will take those signals in, um, amplify them maybe a bit, and then tra- transmit them out over a greater propagation area. And what happens with APRS is they kind of bounce around a little bit. They're retransmitted. And if the digipeter hits another station that has something called an eye gate, and, and the digipeter could have an eye gate on it itself, but the eye gate is what connects the digipeter or the station that's receiving the APRS to the internet. And that allows you to do a whole host of things with APRS. You can send a packet that not only has your GPS information in it, which gets posted to a website called APRS.fi, it's displayed in a Google Maps type overview and it shows you all the users in the area. Of course, you you have to get your signal to that digipeter, to that iGate enabled device to be able to push the data out that way. So if you're out in the field, um, you know, you're far off doing an off-road trip or, uh, you know, for your the overlander guys who really go out there. Um, a 5-watt handheld may not be that effective in getting those APRS packets out. The good news is, is that there are a, a couple of APRS-enabled 50-watt mobile radios. And the last time I was here, we talked about mobile radios a little bit. Mobile radios are what commonly or, or more traditionally look like what you think of as like a CB radio, right? A, a box that goes under the dash or somewhere around there. They're a little bit fancier looking today, but um, with the APRS enabled, you then get 50 watts of output, which is going to get you out a lot further and potentially get you to one of those digipeters. And have a strong enough signal for the the, the digital data to be uh, decoded properly. So, and that's very important as well. Now, uh, on top of the the fifty watt uh, mobile radio, you would also be uh, more than likely having an external antenna, correct? Oh yeah. So yeah, if you're going to the mobile area, you're going to be putting up a, a decent sized antenna. It probably won't be as big as like uh, a fire stick. If people are in, you know uh, familiar with CB radios, a fire stick's a common antenna. It would be something a little bit smaller than that and probably thinner. So, 
we okay now we got a mobile radio 50 watts external antenna although albeit shorter than one of those fire sticks uh, and probably significantly so could possibly if you're just running a quarter wave so it's not that intrusive uh for the off-road uh, or, or or even the the how the the vehicle would operate off-road um but now we're talking about can we use that radio to communicate on the trail as well as using it for APRS, or, or are we talking about two radios and in, in now mounting inside the Jeep? Oh, no. So, yeah, you can you can use one radio to do both. And I actually, the radio I use and recommend is called a Yesu FTM 400, and that's a dual-channel radio. It has an A channel and a B channel. And the way Yesu has their uh, radio set up, the B channel is basically devoted to APRS. If you want to use it in that capacity, you can turn it off. But if you have it in that B channel, the APRS frequency, it'll just happily, you know, every couple of minutes, and these are all user settable um, settings, you can have it squawk out your APRS packet with uh, given information, including your GPS. And then your A channel can be for working a local frequency, what we call simplex frequency, or it can be for operating on a repeater. So you still get full use of the radio as a radio for voice comms, as well as this secondary APRS functionality. So uh, would the, what would occur if you were trying to transmit uh, your voice on, on that, let's say the A channel, and the mm-hmm. APRS needed to squawk, or the APRS is squawking, which only yes. is only a burst, but it's it still is using the transmitter. And you wanted to talk. Would you have to wait before you could talk? Or yeah, you you could be mid sentence, and the APRS will fire off because it's off of a timer, and it'll take a half second. It'll blast out that packet on the B channel. Your A channel will kind of desensitize for a second, and um, you won't be able to transmit. You're still holding down the mic, though. You really don't know. And then it'll switch back to the A channel. So as far as you're concerned, nothing really happened. Okay. So going into the repeater or talking, uh, if you were on simplex, there'd be a, a brief chop in the uh, in your signal. Yeah, a, a brief little, uh, little stop in your transmit voice. But the APRS information would not be squawked on the same frequency that you're on. Because you know how repeat, repeater operators get really upset whenever you're squawking APRS yes. information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. Your B channel still, so you still need to go into the B channel or, or whatever uh, radio you're using and put it on the appropriate frequency. And right. you can go on the, the Wikipedia page for APRS if you're curious. And there's a, a section there that has the frequencies that every major country uses for their APRS. And they are different. So, um, Okay, great. This is great information. This is newer technology. This is a bit different. I know a friend of mine, Dan, over the 4x4 Radio podcast was very interested, uh, or I'm sorry, the 4x4 podcast was uh, very interested in APRS, got an APRS-enabled uh, radio, but it did that. If APRS uh, squawking was on, wherever he was transmitting is where, the, where it squawked, and he got in trouble with uh, a local repeater up in Alaska because he was talking and the, the APRS was squawking. So this is great. Interesting. Say, what what radio was that again that you were recommending? The Yesu FTM 400, and I think it's 400DX. They usually have some kind of letters at the end. (laughs) Was it, is is it a VHF, UHF dual bander, or is it just a mono bander? It's a a VHF, UHF dual bander. It does APRS as well as Yesu's own uh, voice digital mode that they call Yesu System Fusion and Wires X. I know these are a lot of technical terms, but um, so if you if you had 
regular voice is FM modulated analog voice. They have a version of that that will digitize that voice and, and digitized voice actually will transmit further. It, it has a longer receive capability before it drops out on the receive side. Gotcha. All right. Well, this is this is great. So now, say one or more Jeepers, let's hopefully say, let's say two Jeepers off-road, and they yep. have this APRS uh, system set up with the this Yezu radio that you're talking about. How would they track each other uh, with the positional information? How would they so know where they were? Yeah, there's a lot of ways to do this, right? So even if you if you go back to just uh, that HT I talked about in the beginning, that uh, Kenwood D72A, if you're close proximity, that little HT will be fine. And in fact, uh, that radio has a USB port. And that USB port, you can connect to a laptop and it will live update a map display of all the signals that it hears and puts them on a map in relation to where you're pointing the map or in relation to where you're at. If you don't want to go down that route, though, the FTM 400 has a touchscreen display that will display a um, kind of a position marking. It'll actually give you kind of what you would expect to see on like a GPS receiver that we used to use or even on your phone if you're using a GPS type device. And it'll point the direction of the signal that was transmitting their APRS information if you wanted to. And again, these are all settings that you can set on the radio. You just say, oh, hey, I saw that that person that I'm in the in this off-road trip with and I see his call sign, I'm going to click their call sign and boom, it'll display where their heading is at and, and kind of where they're located. So I was uh, taking the moment here to look up the, uh, uh, the FTM 400. I believe that's the one you were you were talking yes. about. And Jeepers, good news, it has a, it, it, I was going to say it has a detachable display, but I'm not even sure this thing could be attached. So basically your your display is, is very um, uh, narrow, I would say. So it'll yes. be easier to mount in a small vehicle and then you mount the the big part of the unit, the 50-watt part, if you will, uh, someplace else, which makes it yeah, you, so much nicer in a, in a small Jeep. Yeah, you hide the body of the radio away, and you put the uh, the little head unit somewhere. And it, and it's, it looks kind of big on the internet when you see pictures of it, but it's actually not that big. And I, I think that it um, is very easy to put just about anywhere, and the screen is very vibrant, even in bright sunlight. Yeah, very. It's a color screen, by the way, and and uh, HRO currently has it at uh, four forty nine ninety five, which sounds like a lot, but it's a it's a lot of radio. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, no, please go ahead. Well, I, I wanted to say, yeah, the the price immediately when people see that they're like, oh man, that that is pretty expensive, and it's definitely a step up from a traditional analog radio. But I would call this uh, kind of the upper tier of mobile radios. It does a lot. Um, for the price, APRS is not just for transmitting your location. You can use this to send messages to uh, other stations that are listening. And if you go back to that uh, discussion we were having earlier about digipeters and eye gates, if you can get your packets to an eye gate, you can send SMS text messages to any phone number. You can send email. I've even used it to send a post to my Twitter page via APRS when I'm out in the field. And you guys can probably attest to this. You don't always have have self service whenever yep. you're off road, so this might be uh, be very handy depending on, on where you go wheeling. Okay, so now we've got the APRS information that we can display on a map. And I just wanted to point out this is uh, this doesn't have anything to do with APRS dot fi, uh, which is a website like you were talking about earlier, where you can you have to use the internet to update that that uh, internet based map. You're talking about something that is 
you're it's all in your control you or the uh, the folks that are local to you you don't have to have the internet you don't have to have Correct. internet service you don't have to have cell service this is all self-contained in the radios uh, that you have or the computers that you've brought with you that that's right yeah when you're truly out there and nothing has signal you could connect your radio and and the ftm 400 i don't think does the laptop connect but the that hd does and and you'd have to look this up if you wanted to get fairly nerdy about it. but if you want to message <laughs> me you can ham radio uh crash course on facebook and and all over and youtube but um with connecting it to the laptop no connection to the internet you would get the received signal coming in through the radio the radio is digitizing that for you and sending it over your usb connection to the laptop which it would then display for you to see on the screen so as far as um how long how far what kind of distances should we expect out of uh, say the five watt handheld radio or the 50 watt uh, mobile radio with an external antenna what if you're off-road and i know it's going gonna, it's gonna to be dependent on terrain and all those uh, water uh, filled trees um mm-hmm. but what kind of uh, terrain uh, not terrain what kind of uh, uh range should we expect out of the 50 and the five so, you know, it always depends as terrain, like you said, if the receiving station's really high up and you're just transmitting at them, you can, I mean, the repeater by my house is 30, 40 miles away, right? I can hit that no problem. Uh, if it's Jeep to Jeep, if you will, you probably get a mile, maybe, um, I'd say about a mile with a, a five watt handheld. And if you're with a 50 watt radio, um, I don't know, you could probably double that, if not get up to maybe 10 miles. I don't want to give too high a number to, to make people right. think that this is guaranteed, particularly if you're in around trees and stuff like that. Um, but again, if it's a nice flat area or you're just kind of around the, the rolling foothills of whatever rocks you're, you're crawling on, um, that you can get pretty f- miles away. And if you get to a digipeter, which are usually on mountains, then that's going even further and you'll hit all over the place. So what kind of, um, what kind of signal strength do you think you need for good APRS? Uh, you actually, you know, basically have enough uh, power to get that digital information received and decoded. Well, it, it's not so much the, the decoding. I mean, that's part of it. it. It really is that signal strength. If you if you can have a good connection to the receiving station, and just to kind of reiterate some of this, simplex is where you're working, and, and this is all simplex. I know I'm, I'm kind of mixing uh, terms here, <laughs> but if you're Jeep to Jeep, right, that's radio to radio. Mm-hmm. Between your two radios, I'd say you can get a couple of miles up to maybe 10 miles or more if you're lucky with a 50-watt radio. If you wanted to get to a digipeter, and again, that's using 50 watts. If you wanted to get to one of those digipeters, that totally depends on where that digipeter is located. And by location, I mean how high up is that antenna. The higher up that antenna, the further out you can get. And, you know, I've I've made from my home uh, using an antenna that is similar to what you could run in a car, and it was luck. It, there was a little bit of weather helping me out. Uh, I made an analog, just FM analog connection over 100 miles. So it totally depends, but I'd say consistent ranges would be anywhere from one mile to an HT, possibly up to five miles. And with a 50 watt radio, definitely one mile would be no problem. And then 10 miles, possibly up to 20. All right, so whenever you were talking about the, the distances, that would be useful distance, not you can get a signal, but actually be able to use it for APRS. 
Um, no, I mean, you, you could be able, so in that hypothetical, well, in that situation where um, I made that 100 mile connection, you could do APRS over that. Uh, that, that wouldn't be a problem. But again, that was facilitated a lot by some atmospheric effects. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Now, I always like to say the wind was blowing in the right direction, you know, just really, right. to really confuse people. <laughs> it was blowing really hard. <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay. Well, this is actually much better news than what I was thinking. I wasn't aware of uh, the the radio that allows you to set up a B channel uh, to do the uh, the squawking for you because I know how but how big a no no that is. To even doing it on simplex, you could be on five two and and squawking APRS information, and I can see how uh, maybe some of the uh, the folks that were listening to that because it can be quite loud at times uh, would, wouldn't like that either so having this this radio that does this is certainly a great thing and i can't remember did you say that the uh, ftm 400 would show the uh, aprs information on it oh yeah it, it okay. will you don't have to be transmitting aprs to pick up aprs you can just leave it on the aprs channel with aprs turned on and you'll just see a scrolling list of all the stations that it's picking up around you. And if that happens to be your buddy or whatever, you just click on it and it'll show you where they're at. Oh, and it, it'll give you distance in miles and, and oh, nice. tell you accurately where they're at. Uh, and, and, and the scrolling thing, as far as the information that's being displayed, how you would know who your buddy was uh, would be by their call sign, their amateur radio call sign, or, or whatever it was they were squawking uh, on APRS. That, that's right. So part of that... In addition to the GPS information, they can add a little message blurb to the bottom of it. It could say, hey, I'm uh, I'm on a four-wheeling trip in the Mojave. Or, hey, my name is Josh, and I'm blah, blah, blah. Mine says, you know, check me out on YouTube, ham radio crash course. Yeah, oh, does um, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it, it's just part of the, the data packet of that, uh, that APRS packet that you're sending. So anybody that's receiving will see that text that I'm transmitting. And so, yeah, you, it could just be your call sign and your name, and then people would know who you are. That's very cool. Yeah, have you uh, have you heard from anybody that said, hey, I, I saw your, uh, your information on APRS and had to check out your YouTube channel? <laughs> yeah, I've actually, so like I said, APRS, you can send messages back and forth between uh -huh. stations. I've had people send me APRS messages back to me saying, hey, I, I saw your message and... Um, they either follow me, which is likely what the case is, or they they stumble into the channel and and they do that. I want to go back really quick to the to the AB channel thing okay. and your mention of people that have accidentally put APRS out in the wrong frequencies. So you can absolutely do that. Uh, the newer radios like the FTM 400 and ICOM makes a couple of these. Kenwood has one that will all do this the correct way, right? It'll have a channel for APRS and a channel for whatever you're doing and it could be fm or digital voice or whatever to your repeaters if you however though still put the radio with the proper aprs setup on the wrong frequency you'll still squawk out the packet there so oh, yeah. I i'm i'm when i hear people tell me the stories it's like oh i got yelled at by the repeater owner i'm almost betting that they were on their wrong channel and they had the aprs channel on and they had the frequency for the repeater on the APRS channel and they were were squawking it out. I that's probably different with some older radios but that happens today still and that's likely more the causes more of an operator error not of a not a shortcoming of the technology. No no with all the buttons and things that you can do uh, especially if you do the reverse thing because there was a lot of sometimes you want to hear the input 
uh, yes. r- frequency for the repeater and you do reverse, you know, you may, it, it, it could just be a simple button push. And I'd like to point out and correct me if this is, if this is wrong, cause you're, you're much more up on the information than I am. It is not illegal. It is not against FCC rules and regulations to, uh, transmit APRS over a digipeter or, uh, any simplex frequency you want to be on. Uh, it's just, uh, bad manners, <laughs> I think is, is what it would be. Uh, right, right. And, and, I guess at some point it could be considered some form of jamming, yeah. which which could get you in trouble if you did it consistently. Right. So I myself, I bumped my radio once and I was uh, squawking APRS out on the uh, simplex frequency for voice, which is 146.520. And someone just really nicely sent me an email and said, hey, I think you might have put your APRS onto the wrong frequency. And, and sure enough, I did. And, you know, I, I flipped it over. No big deal. Um, but if you're doing it intentionally, yeah, you could possibly get yourself in trouble. Oh, absolutely. But I just don't want people to be too concerned. Like, oh, God, I don't no. want to do this because I don't want people mad at me. And, and But don't worry about it. The, uh, the, back in the, the, the day, whenever the uh, the drive time uh, two-meter FM repeater crowd was was going back and forth to work, there was many times that people would sit on the microphone and you'd get to hear all kinds of stuff for the, the their 20, 30-mile trip. So it yep. happens. It's not uh, intentional and uh, it's, it just happens. And, and this will happen and it's not a big deal you just want to try to uh learn your your radio and learn uh what you're doing before you get too far into it and it's it's fun it's fun especially a new radio it's fun seeing all the little subtle nuances that it can do so i guess what you'd say josh is that it's it's perfectly reasonable that you could set up an aprs uh system in your jeep take it off road and use it to track other members uh in your group yeah absolutely and if you have a camp uh, right, you've got like a home base that you're running, you, you're all camping out of one location and running little trips in and around. Having APRS in the base station at your camp is great because then you can keep an eye on where everybody's at and where they've last been and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, APRS is something that definitely people that are outdoors enthusiasts should look at. I think it's a, a really value add to whatever you're doing. Excellent. Well, I really want to thank you again for coming on and answering this listener's uh, question. And I, I'm sure we had more than one listener that was uh, interested in this, and uh, perhaps they just didn't feel like uh, writing in. But this is the value of writing in, uh, calling into our voicemail, and asking these types of questions. And uh, when you request a specific guest, you know we'll try to get them on. And uh, I, I really appreciate Josh uh, coming on at uh, short notice. Josh, tell the uh, tell the kiddies out there how they can find you on the social media stuff. Oh, man. Well, I'm everywhere on the social media. The The easiest way to find me if you're interested in some of the amateur radio stuff is just Google Ham Radio Crash Course, and, and that'll find me real quick. Um, I am, however, on Instagram and Twitter as Hosh Nasi, which is Hotel Oscar Sierra Hotel November, November Alpha Sierra India. And then there's a Facebook page for the Ham Radio Crash Course and a Discord group as well, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, tell people about that. Uh, you uh, you do a YouTube, a live YouTube, and uh, then you uh, everybody goes uh, all goes all back to the uh, the Discord channel afterwards, and it's kind of like a online party from from one venue to another. That, that's right. Yeah. So the <laughs> the live stream, my, I now live stream on Saturdays at five p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. And after the live stream, which goes about an hour, we jump over to Discord, which if, you know, if you're old enough like me, you remember IRC uh, web chat was like a chat room that you'd pop into. Discord's kind of like that with a lot of added features. We've got the chat room capability that's multimedia, so you can post whatever you want in there. And then we also have these voice chats. 
And we get in these voice chats after the live stream and we take questions live from people, um, you know, 40, 50, 60 people all hop into this voice chat and we're talking about amateur radio and then give it a little bit of time and it starts straying to all kinds of uh, interesting, interesting <laughs> yeah. things, which is, which can be fun in its own, in its own way. Yeah. So if you're interested in ham radio or maybe you've gotten into ham radio, but you got the license, but you really haven't uh, felt very comfortable about, you know, going in it on your own, check out the ham radio crash course and then get in on that discord channel and ask those questions. Uh, Josh is, is very, um, how can I say you're, you have a lot of patience uh, with the questions that people will ask. And it, it's difficult sometimes for people that are knowledgeable on a, a subject and they've gone through the question over and over and over again to have that kindness in answering the question. And Josh is a very good job at that. So if you're worried about being make, made fun of or, oh, my God, this question again, you don't have to worry about that with, uh, with Josh and his group. Yeah, anybody who is kind of mean to anybody asking a question, novice or not, we get them out of the group. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't tolerate anything like uh, any form of shaming or, oh, God, or groaning about questions. Not at all. <laughs> and, and if you, we, we get rid of that because I, I feel it's just so counterproductive to creating an environment that helps people is having people claiming kind of knowledge elitism. I hate that stuff. So, yeah, we're, we're all over that. Um, your questions, doesn't matter what it is. We try and work with everybody. It's not just me. I've got admins now that are supporting us. And, and the community at large is just really, really strong at helping each other now. It's it's awesome. Well, Josh, thanks. As a, a longtime ham, I really want to thank you for doing a lot for the uh, the ham radio uh, group. And uh, it makes a big difference. You know, there's a lot of hams out there that don't have the patience for uh, newbies. And it's great to have you out there, uh, you know, representing the uh, ham radio hobby. So, Josh, thanks a, a lot again for being with us, and uh, hopefully uh, we can have you on again real soon. Yeah, thank you very much. I always appreciate these opportunities. Thanks. A big thanks out to Josh Ashnasi for explaining just what APN, or APRS is and, and how we can use it in our Jeeps. Now, Tony, this is uh, some cool stuff. I know a lot of this stuff might be over some people's heads, and I, I know that you and I have talked about APRS and stuff in the past and whatnot, but uh, some really cool stuff about ham radio with, uh, with you and, and another Josh. You know, I was uh, really uh, surprised that the, I guess I shouldn't be. I just don't keep up with the uh, the ham radios. But I was really surprised that he was able to specify a specific radio that's set up for APRS, and you don't have to worry about am I on the right frequency? You set it up, and then it just squawks out on the second frequency, and you can oh, use wow. yeah, you can use the radio just like you normally would. I remember Dan over at the Four by Four podcast uh, got a radio with APRS uh, enabled on it. And uh, he got in trouble a few times uh, with uh, local repeater uh, uh, folks up in Alaska for squawking out uh, the APRS information on the on the repeater, which is Oops. a which is a no no. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's like bad manners. It's not illegal. Yeah, but uh, it's not you know, illegal. It's just, yeah, it's just poor etiquette is all. So it's great that you can have a dedicated radio uh, with yeah. fifty watts. Uh, to, to do this uh, easily and not have to uh, have a separate radio, a separate antenna, and all the rest of this crap. So uh, great information, and thanks again to the uh, the listener that uh, wanted more APRS information. And, it, of course, Josh Hosnazi uh, that was uh, able to jump in there and give it to us. Hey, do you have an idea for a guest, or do you work in the off-road industry? Maybe you know somebody who does, or maybe you would just like to be a guest on the Jeep Talk Show to tell your own Jeep story. We'd love to hear it. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact right there and share your idea for our next great guest.
Hey, and coming up next week, Meredith Eversu with Extreme Terrain. She's the uh, the young lady that you see on the YouTube videos showing all the goodies that Extreme Terrain has uh, to sell you. I was going to say, hey, we know that name. That's right. She's been on before about a year ago or maybe a, maybe a couple of years ago. But uh, we'll uh, be hearing from her next week. From the mind of Nikki G. Hey, everybody, this is Nikki G. I just want to remind everybody that February is Paranormal Activity Awareness Month. And uh, not a lot of people know, but Sir Craps a lot is an unofficial service animal because the uh, animal control will not approve my uh, application for Sir Craps a lot as a paranormal activity service dog. <laughs> Every night I let Sir Craps a lot out to walk around the neighborhood, and there's a chicken outside making some what funky noises. I hope it's not rabid. But anyhow, I let Sir Craps a lot out every night to go on patrol, and uh, animal control has a problem with it. But I would like to point out that since Sir Craps a lot has been on patrol, there has been no werewolf attacks, no vampire bites, and alien anal probing has been down by 20%. And he's almost got to the bottom of the mystery of Mrs. Murphy's knocked over trash can. It needs a little bit more <laughs> digging. All right, boys and girls, I'll chat you later. You have a good one. Bye. He was so talking. that chicken. <laughs> he was talking about <laughs> Sir Craps a lot, and I hear that, oh, 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 and I'm thinking, well, he's working on choking up a bone or something. <laughs> Well, you know, let the dog out and let the chickens in. I think that's a little fast backwards from most, but, you know, okay, whatever you do over there at the Nikki G household. You know, Nikki G's been a little slick because uh, he puts out pots for his chickens to, to sleep in at night. So it's just this time to, to put the lid on and take it in the house. Okay. Oh, no, Tony, no. <laughs> Hey, coming up in a few minutes, we're going to hear a little bit about some events that are happening in your hometown and maybe even around the nation in Wheeling Ware. Boy, Tony, we uh, kind of uh, stirred up a little bit of a bee's nest last week uh, with our with our picked topic of what we were talking about. Uh, well, the last, last week. two weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah really. But uh, so I kind of wanted to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about my own Jeep um, here just for a brief moment because uh, I've got some things that are happening and uh, and things are kind of well. I'm stacking up uh, a bunch of stuff. So my uh, my JCR Dana Thirty Axle Trust came in this week. Uh, for the front end, that how has completed my front end parts collection um, that I, that I've been putting together. So uh, now it's time to move on to the rear. All I've got left is the um, is the uh, the rear disc brake conversion parts um, that I that I need to collect, uh, and that's just a matter of getting my butt out to the junkyard. And that's just a matter of the weather giving me a break, uh, which I which it hasn't done. Uh, so it's just, uh, it'll be happening here very soon. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I can find at least one weekend day, uh, that's not pissing rain sideways that I can get out to the junkyard and, and, uh, and crawl around a little bit, get myself the parts that I need, the backing plates, a couple cables, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, um, that's what's on the, on the, uh, on the agenda, at least I've got a, uh, Interesting story. Uh, uh, driving my Jeep to work a couple times here and there. Uh, go out to lunch with coworkers, going around a corner, and I don't have sway bars at all anywhere <laughs> on the Jeep. And it's been that way for years. Now I, you know, I know how to drive it. It's not a daily driver. It's not that big of a deal, at least not to me. Um, and, and so when I go around a corner, 
uh, most people are reaching for the handle that's right above them, and I, you know, politically <laughs> call that the oh shit handle, because um, you typically that's what people say when they're reaching for it. Um, right. And so, yeah, granted, my Jeep has a lot of body roll. It's got a very flexy suspension on it. And uh, and when a very large coworker grabbed that handle as we were going around a corner, uh, the handle did not support his weight, and part of it came right out of the uh, right right out of its uh, right out of its mouth. Oh. So I had to come up with some creative <laughs> methods to fix that over the last week or so. Uh, got that in there and tested. I actually hung my fat ass off of that thing. No, I'm not fat. I'm I'm six three. I'm about uh, two hundred and five, two hundred and fifteen pounds uh, thereabouts, and uh, so I mean that's a fair amount of weight. Uh, hanging off that thing. If it can hold me, it can hold him. Yeah, those are fun. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the you know I haven't had my uh, my sway bar d- uh, connected since I went to Barnwell. Uh, I oh dis- wow! I disconnected it up in Barnwell, and I just have not um, uh, gotten where because uh, I re- I need to adjust them. I noticed that uh, uh, I wasn't oh. getting the that the sway bar was actually uh, causing sway on un- uneven surfaces. So it actually drives better with the uh, with it disconnected on the highway. Very interesting. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if you've got uh, bushings that are out uh, or something like that. I mean, I've never heard of a sway bar causing sway. It's just um, it's just better. Uh, I, I, it's not drastically different. I just noticed noticed it was uh, better, and I was thinking maybe the uh, the sway bar uh, disconnects were too tight. I need to loosen them up so they're. Uh, uh, oh, so they're not. Yeah, there. So there, there is a, a a sort of rule of thumb when it when it comes to the angle of of that upper part of the sway bar uh, where the end link actually attaches to, and, and you want that relatively horizontal. Uh, and so if there if there is any angle on that, um, you know that your your sway bar uh, end links are either too long or too short, uh, either putting uh, putting the wrong sort of pressure on the sway bar. Uh, on one side or the other. So um, yeah, that that's sort of the rule of thumb with sway bars. You want them horizontal at the point where the end link attaches at. So it's a kind of a, a way to gu- guide your measurement, if you will. And of course, adjusting that on a level surface, uh, you know, not on a hill, not with one tire up on the curb, you know, that sort of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And of course, there's the fun of uh, getting them on and off whenever you're on a unlevel surface. Uh, oh yeah. So, so that's, that's just why I hadn't messed with it. It was so muddy uh, out there with that, uh, that uh, very rich iron uh, clay. Eh, it wasn't clay. Iron rich uh, dirt who turned into mud. I didn't. I really wasn't looking forward to getting them under, in, underneath there and getting it all dirty. So you but, know the the quintessential uh, sway bar uh, end link removal tool is one of those cheap, smaller sized dead blow hammers oh, you yeah. can get from like Northern Tool or Harbor Freight. They're like three ninety nine on sale. You know, bright orange. You're never gonna lose it. You know, one of those <laughs> things, and and it gives you that dead blow. They're made out of plastic, or you know, vinyl or whatever, uh, and they're filled with sand. And so you get a good solid thwack when you're when you're you know hitting that end link or whatever. Really knocks it off. Good. You're not gonna damage anything. You're not gonna scratch nothing or bend anything like that. Uh, and it's a lot easier than trying to use the palm of your hand. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I've got a. I have a hammer or something in there. I just. Uh, uh, it was so funny. I got there at Barnwell, and it was it was time to go because we were running late. You know, like oh, a yeah. four hour trip uh, up there, yeah. and uh, just pushing it the whole way, and then got there just in time. And uh, I didn't even have time to get get the uh, the the disconnects off. I just pulled the pins and look uh, and let nature take its course while I was driving. <laughs> 
So um, just to remind everybody uh, that uh, if you're in the Houston area and uh, you don't already know about it, there is a Jeep event this weekend uh, at uh, Gilman, uh, Jeep, Chrysler, Dodge, and all those other uh, brands. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's right there at like uh, uh, Beltway 8 and 59, or I think they call it 69 now. Uh, I, I think somebody was being clever. Uh, and uh, But it's a, a Gilman uh, Jeep dealership. They had the, the first one last year. And it was a big event, and uh, this year uh, I'm going to be able. I, I missed the, the one last year; I didn't even know about it. Uh, but this year I'm going to be out there handing out stickers, and uh, you can see my uh, my bright red Jeep with my big ass sticker on there. So if you're in the Houston area or you're close enough where you can drive in, uh, we'll uh, we'll be there uh, pretty early. Uh, the event uh, happens uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And you know, Josh, uh, Wendy, I was surprised. Uh, do you are, are you guys familiar with James Coney Allen? It's a hot dog. Uh, uh, not yeah, you know, what? more commonly referred to out here as just Coney Island uh, versus right. James Coney Island. But but yeah, yeah. no, I'm, hot, yeah, hot dogs. Familiar. You understand hot dogs? You betcha. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, James Coney Island, which I think is kind of a Texas thing, uh, they they're actually going to have a uh, one of those roach coaches out there. Uh, oh, there you for, go. And, and I'm not quite sure, but the Gilman Post from on their their web page or the Facebook page says they've already paid for the food. I don't know if that what? means. I don't know if that means all the food is free, but what? Yeah, oh, boy, I yeah, don't know, free hot dogs. Sign but me I, up. I, I might just make the drive. I thought, <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. Oh, and it's really good stuff, Josh. You would love their chili. They call it brick chili. Oh. I've never had any chili like this. I always have to get uh, the chili and the Frito pie and a couple of hot dogs. I, I load myself up anytime we get anything from James. So Cody what? You, you eat a bowl of this, and you're gonna crap a brick. Is that oh, a- yes, <laughs> is it's that exactly that right. It is exactly right. Wait, that's a visual. I don't want to hear. I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and God, they they believe in the the old adage that chili does not have beans because they put the beans on the side. That way, I can have chili the way god intended it to be bean free no beans no beans there's no beans about it cool well i i'm actually going to be at uh, king of the hammers uh friday's the last day for that we're going to be there for a next entire event um, settling people around to the different events it's going to be really fun to see some of the races and stuff so i'm looking forward to reporting what happened at king of the hammers now how far how far is that away from you wendy uh, it's about an hour drive. So oh, God. Oh, you suck. Oh, you do. You do suck. <laughs> oh. Oh, it's so cool. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, King of the Hammers is going on right now because I've seen uh, a lot of coverage yeah. on Facebook, uh, but Friday's the last day is what you're saying. Yeah, it's the big race, uh, so we're going to be, now, Next entire has been out there the whole week, but uh, we're, my husband and I are going to go out and take the Jeep and shuttle some people around and oh i thought you were gonna hit the course i thought you were gonna say you're gonna hit the course with your jeep and uh see how far you get no not quite (laughs) (laughs) no that's that's on a quiet day when we don't have all the racers there to go to some of those those are pretty intense if you've not been out there to see that it's pretty darn intense yeah world-class racing yeah when you got to be special built too you know you got to have suspension and those v8 engines and man it's just completely cool to be hanging out in a canyon and hearing all that thunder it's just it's awesome so you know I was 17 so, hours for me 17 yeah. hour drive just under you 17 hours it, for me to Tom. get there <laughs> you, can you can do it you know uh, now we're gonna get sued uh so <laughs> so uh yeah it's a four hour uh, uh it takes me four hours to get there by plane at 700 freaking miles an hour <laughs> yeah sorry so i'll let you guys know how it goes 
Yeah, well, please we do. Hear, yeah, no, well, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> the hell with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's great. I hope you have a, a great time, and uh, I don't, I don't see how you can keep from it. You know, uh, you remember we had Rob uh, uh, Bender Parks on the on the show a couple yeah. of times, Josh. Uh, he's not, he's not at King of the Hammers this year. I saw a Aww. Facebook post that he, uh, he's not going. Did you know he moved out of California to, uh, uh, Georgia? Oh, I didn't know wow, that. That's a move. Yeah. That is a move. Wow. And that might be one of the reasons why he's not there. I think he finally got tired of the California stuff. Uh, Wendy, I'm sure you can identify with this. Absolutely. I was going to say, hmm, smart man moved out of California. Yeah, right. yeah, it's a shame. Uh, in California, such a beautiful state. I, I, when I got over there for the next entire event uh, to to go on John Bull and uh, Gold Mountain, it was man, just amazing. Uh, I can certainly see how uh, you guys put up with the crap that you put up with, just to be able to uh, be five minutes away from something like that. Yeah, it is nice, and the whole terrain for King of the Hammers is completely different, Tony, than what you saw when you were here in Big Bear. Definitely different. More desert, a lot of rocks, a lot of climbing. It's it's pretty intense. Well, if Nixon was uh, providing the, uh, the the vehicle, I'd certainly try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would you like to join in on the campfire side chat? We sure like to have you pull up a chair, crack a beverage, and go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out all the ways you can reach out to us and join in on the fun. What the heck is this? Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Maybe you should have checked the Jeep weather with Mitch. Hey Jeeper, Mitch here. Today is the 7th of February, 2020, and it's time for your weekend going topless Jeep weather report. Last Sunday was a busy day. Chiefs beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Bucks tie Phil didn't see a shadow predicting early spring. A huge winter storm sweeps the western United States. Jeep getting voted best Super Bowl commercial, and Bill freaking Murray gets obsessed with <laughs> over the JT, blocking the world in an eternal Groundhog's Day. At least Bill Murray agrees with me that going topless in your Jeep, no matter the weather, is the right move. So on to the weather. Well, that rodent got me thinking. Yes, it hurt. But I was wondering what number of towns are named after animals. Surprisingly, quite a few. So I chose a few for this week's topless Jeep and weather report. First. We start with another rodent, Porcupine, South Dakota. <laughs> Friday will be cloudy at 32, Saturday cloudy at 45, and Sunday, snow at 29 degrees. I guess Porcupine will stick you with those cold needles after all. <laughs> Next, we go to Wolverine, Michigan for some roof off, doors off, winter driving. I think we should call this the Jeeping Bill Murray style. Friday, 23 and cloudy, Saturday, 19, and you'll see some sun, but Sunday is snow at 32 degrees. Now, if Jeeping Bill Murray style doesn't make you as angry as a wolverine here, then you might need to talk to a psychiatrist. Ride on out to Mustang, Oklahoma, and a Jeep, of course, and go topless here. It'll be warmer than our previous two locations. Friday, cloudy at 50, Saturday, sun at 53, and Sunday, might get some rain at 59. Nothing like a little bit of wet bareback riding in your Jeep to make you smile. Alright now, fly on down to Crane, Missouri. State of Super Bowl 2020 winners, the Kansas City Chiefs. Crane has the exact same weather patterns as Mustang. Crane will be cloudy, 42 on Friday, sun at 46 on Saturday, and raining at 57 on Sunday. Don't forget to use the hashtag JeepTalkShow on social media for us to see those pictures. If you have any suggestions or want to know your local weather in an upcoming episode, go to JeepTalkShow.com contact in order to find all the ways to get a message to me. I'm Mitch. It's always a great weekend to go topless if you're brave enough. Just go topless responsibly.
Man, brave enough is right. You know, Josh, we didn't talk about that uh, the the commercial, the Jeep commercial with Bill Murray, Bill frickin' Murray, as you put it, uh, in the in the show. That was a damn good commercial. I really uh, enjoyed that. I kind of touched on it a little bit, but there's actually something about that commercial that we're going to be talking specifically about next week. Excellent. And I bet you didn't notice it when you watched the commercial. Uh, the uh, the the, be- nah, 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 the beaver is next uh, week. Next the, week, the a groundhog beaver. is a liberal. It's is not a, a beaver. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a beaver. I'm sorry, I got beavers on my mind. God, <laughs> what else is new? Now let's get to some events from around the world and maybe even in your neck of the woods. Don't forget to let us know about an event that you are planning or are involved with. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact. Click and fill out our wheeling wear form. It's a form that you can fill out. It has all the necessary information that we can get out to the masses. Now coming up uh, March 14th through the 16th, we have the Jeep in Central Florida Club presenting the Jeepin' for Justice event. Uh, this is happening at the Concourse Rotary Pavilion in Shady Hills, Florida. And this is an event, um, this, this next event really sort of stood out. And if you're into big, gigantic, absolutely no-holds-barred off-road partying, then this is going to be the event for you. Now check this out. The club that's presenting this, uh, this uh, awesome uh, party... It's a spring break party. It's called Rednecks with Paychecks Off-Road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that's what caught my eye. Rednecks with Paychecks Off-Road. I was like, all right. Now, this is happening March 19th through the 22nd in St. Joe, Texas. And if, like I said, if you're down for a big-ass off-road party, then this is the one you're going to be wanting to plan for. Oh, and I got to remind you guys again that I'm going to be at the Big Jeep Meet uh, this Saturday. Uh, so, tomorrow, uh, on the release of this episode... Uh, uh, it will be from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Gilman Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram. Boy, I wish they could stick a few more on there. Uh, that's at 10585 West Sam Houston Parkway South, Houston, Texas, as, uh, as we like to say. And uh, it's going to be a big event. I already mentioned about the, uh, the James Coney Allen uh, Roach Coach is going to be there. I'm waiting to see if it's actually free food. I don't mind paying for it, but I just can't believe that Gilman actually said they've already paid for the food. Oh, and they're going to have a, a monster for you guys that uh, like the monster drinks. Uh, all the monster drinks are going to be free. They definitely said those were free. So uh, I don't know. I've never had one. My wife said, don't, don't you have any of those? I said, no, nope, I, I don't drink that stuff. So my wife told me I can't do it. There you go. Uh, also, too, a uh, big reminder about this one, uh, Lone Star Jeep Invasion uh, went last year. It's coming up uh, March. Uh, it'll be actually March 20th through 21st, and uh, we'll be out there again uh, as long as the Jeep holds together. Uh, and I'll be handing out stickers at both locations. So uh, please come out, say hello. We'd like to uh, like to see you directly for, for a change. Well, for more information, more events, and, of course, links to all of this uh, and to get all the information, all the good stuff, visit the JeepTalkShow.com website for this episode. That's it for the show for this week, my fellow Jeeper. But the Jeep Talk Show needs your help. Amazon recently decided to screw the little guy, and we lost our number one way you Jeepers can support the show. So now, it's never been more important to subscribe to the show. So go to our website and click the yellow subscribe now button. And as always, from the bottom of our muddy, rocky-filled hearts, we thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. Yeah, I'm all about that Jeep wave. So when you see me Jeep wave, just wave back. I don't need all this, how'd you get into my bedroom in the middle of the night nonsense, okay? Podcasting since 2010.